hello and welcome to yet another marvel show and we're back baby and this is gonna be uploaded on a monday and we're gonna be consistent <laughs> at least that's my hope i'm your host shay and this week there's a couple of g-hulk stuff i want to talk about and wh- while i'm talking about that um i think the conclusion that i'm going to draw is that just some things i don't always have to react to there's just some opinions that are not worth a reaction because that's what they want anyway we'll get all into that stuff and what else on this week i think oh yeah we're gonna talk about some spider-man no way home additional scenes there's fun reddit posts that i want to do then a couple of just like questions theorizing about some of the future stuff mostly related to x-men stuff and then i'm gonna be talking about comics that i've been reading lately as of recording this intro i still don't know what the title of this episode is going to be but uh we'll figure it out as we go along so uh like i do every week or i will be doing every week last week i did it for both the first and the second episode but if there are any easter eggs or any cool theories that i've seen from the latest episode of She-Hulk that have since been put on the internet since I've made my video on YouTube because I do recaps after the episodes come out. And this is just if uh, there's any Easter eggs that I missed or if there's anything to mention from the time between that YouTube video that I make and now when I'm recording the podcast. There we go. Um, And yeah, so... For Easter eggs, uh, I think there might have been a couple of things. Well, I guess there's, like, a few. Um, some of these are just, uh, like, things that I want to talk more about after watching the new Rockstars video specifically. There's just some things that was, uh, getting me thinking. And there's also just been some discourse, for example, of the whole Wong and Abomination story. Like, is that even true? (laughs) Because I did kind of touch on this in the video, but I was giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, I'm like, okay, maybe he had to go through the official process once Steven came back. I have no idea. But it also could be that they're just lying. Um, because in Shang-Chi, the scene has Wong saying, hey, you were supposed to be pulling your punches. And if it were, I'm really sorry, I forgot who said this first. Could have been a Reddit comment, could have been a video that I watched. This is not my original idea. But in that scene, he says, hey, you're pulling your punches. And if this were like a battle of the, battle of strength type of thing that you're proving yourself to become the Sorcerer Supreme, why would you want it to be fixed in that way? You know? So... That's the biggest thing, I think, that points to it just not being true at all. And there's just a lo- there's just some inconsistencies. That was the main one. I'm trying to think of other things people were saying. But people have been bringing up very interesting little details around that. That, are, that the story that they're telling doesn't really fit for what we've seen so far. It could be a case of just, you know, inconsistencies in writing. I doubt that it is, though. I think there's got to be something there. Um, But I'm also, like, if it ends up being that the story is true, then I guess I can kind of see that. But that would be the biggest thing for me, is that it just doesn't make sense. 
So that was the first thing that I definitely wanted to just kind of mention here. Um, cause yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. And I wonder if we're going to get answers to that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, also on Wong's LinkedIn page that they show, you can see that he was a Target employee for nine years before, um, being a librarian at Comertage, which is also on his LinkedIn page. And yeah, (laughs) there's that. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, the Easter eggs are just small, simple things like that. Um, there was also, um, the first time that Jen breaks the fourth wall in this episode when she's in the car, there's like a sound effect that they've played only that time. And they didn't play it during her other fourth wall breaks. And I don't think in the episode they played it for the other ones. I would have to go back and watch it, but I don't think they did. It was just for that one, which is weird. Is there a purpose for that? Or is it just something that doesn't have any meaning behind it at all? I have no idea. Um, oh, and then during the news segment, there's all these She-Hulk videos. Um, of course, there's the actual news segments that they show, but also on the recommended videos, there's a lot of, like, conspiracy theories about She-Hulk, about how, if she's even real or not. And apparently the comments that they show during the sequence, you know, of all the, like, incel-type comments, apparently a lot of them were inspired by a lot of people said that they were just directly ripped from the instagram comments from when they announced the show and i didn't see any evidence that they were word for word like nobody put up two pictures next to each other and said this is this comment from the instagram but i mean it's obvious that like they're very similar (laughs) comments so they could have taken that as inspiration um but it's also things that people have just been saying about she hulk since she's been introduced you know But, yeah, there definitely is a parallel there that people have been pointing out. And then this one I had in my notes, but I forgot to research it. So when I was filming, I didn't mention it. But Gideon Wilson is being interviewed in that news segment. It's at the end and it gets cut off. But Gideon Wilson, this is his first appearance in the MCU. And they describe him as the original prosecutor for Blonsky's case. He wasn't in The Incredible Hulk, according to the new Rockstars video that I watched. But in the comics, this is Sam Wilson's brother, and he makes his appearance in World War Hulk, I believe. Again, this is just from the new Rockstars video that I saw. Um, But obviously in the MCU, we know that Sam and Sarah, I think is the sister's name, are siblings, but they never mentioned having a brother or anything during that time. So, and they talk a lot about, like, their parents being gone and them having to take care of their family legacy. Like, you you would have assumed it would have came up. So, it'll be interesting. Like, if that's just an Easter egg and doesn't really go anywhere, or if they continue to use that character, what is that going to look like? Another one of the videos on the side, this is when there's the video of the elf turning into Mega Stallion. Um, but there's a review video for the Iron Man 3's uh, shoes that was mentioned in another episode. The Cybertruck, I thought this was a made-up thing. I did not think the Cybertruck was real, but apparently apparently that is the name of the Tesla truck that they came out with. The ugly-ass thing. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's so ugly. And it's Tesla, so it's probably not made very well. And, uh, 
yeah, so it would it makes sense to me that freaking Bukowski would drive a freaking Tesla Cybertruck. That's just so funny. But I missed the joke because I didn't realize that was the Tesla truck. I thought it was just a made up name. A lot of people seem to be confused about the Elvin diplomat thing and like diplomatic immunity and stuff like that. So my theory behind this is that the diplomatic immunity and being a diplomat is between Asgard and maybe there's diplomats from all of the other realms, but the light elves are from Alfheim and that realm was the quote-unquote easiest one for Odin to conquer because they didn't really fight. They wanted things to remain peaceful as far as I'm aware. So it would make sense that there would be diplomats in the first place, but I think it's like an Asgard and the other realms type of thing, the nine realms. Um, But I guess Earth is part of the nine realms, right? So maybe... Maybe Earth just doesn't recognize it as such because until recently in the last decade or so when thor has been on earth i guess there wasn't really proof that that these norse gods even existed for uh, like as far as earth was concerned so maybe that just threw a wrench into my whole um theory but i think the diplomatic relations is between alfheim and asgard now new asgard because that's the new country or whatever um, so that's, that would make sense why the judge would be like, well, that doesn't matter because it's not like it's an agreement between the U.S. and Asgard or even whatever country Asgard is in. I think it's Norway, right? Yeah. So I don't know. That's my theory, but who knows? And maybe there are other diplomats from other of the nine realms for new Asgard as well. And the whole Asgard is a place, not a people. I attributed that only to Thor in my video. I forgot to mention who it originally came from, the person that Thor got it from, and that is the icon himself, Heimdall. I forgot to mention that, which is sacrilegious because Heimdall is one of my favorite characters ever. So, especially like Idris Elba, specifically Heimdall. I think he was very much wasted, but he's great. Anyway, um, so I forgot to mention that. And this was an interesting... Uh, I don't even know what to call this, but an interesting thing that was brought up on the New Rockstars video where at the towards the end of the episode, Jen gets the idea for Blonsky to use the inhibitor that Bruce has invented so that he can stay Blonsky and not turn into the abomination in order for him to get his parole, basically. It would sweeten the deal for the government if he were to have something like that. But Jessica, and I think on Screen Crush, they also mentioned the Mutant Registration Act, but they mentioned how those things could be connected, which I didn't even think of when I was watching that episode. But it definitely makes sense, and it would be a really interesting plot point if Jen was somehow responsible for getting that kind of technology to the people who are going to be against the mutants and the repercussions of that. And is Bruce going to be upset with her that his technology has been used for such a thing? Could that cause some sort of turmoil? That would be really a, a really interesting plot point to see in the future. So I hope it's not something that just gets abandoned, because if that does end up being something that's used, that would be very interesting. Um, oh, and then the end when she's getting attacked by the Wrecking Crew, who I didn't recognize at first. But what I didn't recognize was that one of the weapons, I thought it was a mini sword for some reason, and I don't know why. <laughs> 
but it's actually a crowbar which is even more funny that I didn't realize it was a crowbar because apparently in the comics the crowbar is like very important to them it's like how they get their powers or some shit I have no idea but yeah so pretty hilarious mistake that I completely missed the fact that it was a crowbar (laughs) I don't know why I thought like mini sword even though who really carries around mini swords like that as a weapon so I don't know. I don't know how I missed that, but it was pretty funny. Also, apparently they all have W's on their shirts, which is a nice little detail that I did not notice. Um, and also, so I, I quote unquote clickbaited my video talking about um, how Meg Stallion is officially in the MCU. That's why I titled it. And she was in the thumbnail with She-Hulk. And I forgot completely. I must have cut it out because I definitely talked about this when I recorded it. But I cut out talking about the end credit scene. Um, or the mid credit scene, I should say. So that was my bad. <laughs> I did talk about it in the recording. But I must have taken it out. And I don't know why. Usually I'm good, at, good with uh, catching stuff. But I think when I was editing that, it took me a while. It took me hours. And I was... Because um, I had a lot of difficulties with um noise and stuff that day so I had a lot to edit out but um it kept getting interrupted so it took me forever so I think at that point I was just like not being as thorough as possible but yeah what can I say the end credit scene was fun and it sucks that the internet has pretty much turned everything not fun as they like to do And that's a good segue into just talking about some of the discourse happening. And like I said in the beginning of the episode, it's not something I even really want to dwell on because who cares? If you're going to waste your life being so unfun and such a prude and such like a annoying little shit, that's on you, man. Like, I'm not going to let you ruin my enjoyment and happiness and I'm not going to waste my time acting like your opinion matters or should even be taken into consideration, or should even be granted with a response or whatever, you know? Because it's just so dumb. It's just the same arguments over and over again, and they get refuted over and over again. But because they're straw man arguments, it's like you can't say anything to refute them because it just keeps going. So a lot of people are upset about the twerking, which has its own undertones to it the fact that people think twerking specifically is like a dumb dance or whatever not understanding the fact that it's like stems from actual african culture for example like it's not just like something that somebody created one day to be stupid it's like very historical um and cultural i should say so there's that um But thankfully for me, most of what I've seen is just people on Reddit responding to those reactionary type opinions. I haven't seen too much outrage myself. I've seen a couple on these threads, but they're usually really downvoted, so that's good, I guess. Um, But I have seen it some places. And I've just decided that, like, these reactionary opinions are not opinions that I care about, or should take into account, or like I said before, should even dignify with a response. And I don't think you should either. Like, yes, it is important to have normal opinions out there, but I think me just making a video or a podcast about how much I enjoyed something while everyone else is saying how stupid it is, is good enough without me having to directly engage with 
those types of people, you know? At least I would hope so. It's kind of like the whole Andrew Tate thing and people quote-unquote debating him. And there was this whole argument about, like, is that, does that also count as platforming him? And I think if you're challenging what he's saying, then it's not necessarily platforming. Um, But were people challenging what he was saying? Not some of the people who had him on their podcasts. So, um, I think similarly acting like those opinions are valuable enough to dignify with a response I think is just like yeah I just don't want to do that anymore because they don't deserve it and it's literally just to get a reaction out of people um it's kind of ridiculous like those types of people always are throwing around terms like snowflake and calling people triggered and it's like you're fucking triggered over twerking as a mid-credit scene it's not even a plot point for the show like and a lot of people commenting didn't even watch it they just saw the clip online like how stupid do you look (laughs) but anyway I thought Megan Thee Stallion was a good person to have be a part of this especially because the discourse has gone the way that it has this is very similar to the reaction of WAP with Cardi B about how women can choose to be sexual there's a difference between objectifying and choosing sexuality for yourself which is another thing these reactionary fucks don't understand because they're too stupid to grasp that sort of concept it's like well why can't i sexualize you but you can dance and it's like are you fucking for real (laughs) oh my god i'm trying to even come up with a comparison to compare that to i don't even know honestly Like, what would you even compare that to? But yeah, if you can't tell the difference between objectifying someone and somebody being... I don't want to use the term empowered because then they're going to get all in a tizzy because they don't understand how sex can be empowering and sexuality. But I don't know, there's just a difference between, yeah, sexualizing and coming to terms with and everything with your own sexuality in a world in a world where people don't want you to express sexuality because that whole side of things are always talking about how women don't have sex for pleasure and all that crazy stuff that's the type of shit that they're on over there so they can't even grasp that they can't even wrap their little pea brains around the concept and it's like if you can't even be on the same playing field intellectually with me your opinion is not worth me talking about i think yeah at the end of the day this is a show created by and for women or anyone aligned with femininity and having a similar relationship to misogyny because like i've said in the past um everyone deals with misogyny in different ways every single gender is going to have a different relationship with misogyny but it affects everyone um and so i think if you are on board with those things embracing femininity even if you're a cisgender heterosexual male and 
What was the other thing I said? Oh yeah, understanding misogyny and how it plays out in the real world. Then I think you get it and can enjoy what you're watching. Also, um, I did see some people saying, well, because this happens every single time. There's this incel right-wing outrage about anything. There are people who are like, well, just because I don't like this thing doesn't mean that I'm one of them. And it's like, yeah, well, okay. (laughs) But if if you feel like you have to clarify that, who are you trying to convince, me or you? For example, I'm not a fan of Captain Marvel. Just as a movie. I've mentioned this in videos and stuff. I'm just not a fan of Amnesia plot points. It's actually part of the reason why... It was one of the only things that I found disappointing about the newest Spider-Man movie. Because I hate Amnesia stuff. I just hate it. And... I think also it being this Amnesia plot made it so that Brie Larson couldn't really explore the character that much. And have fun with it. So I'm excited to see her in the future. So, I clearly dislike Captain Marvel. I I would still rewatch it if I'm doing a full rewatch, but my dislike, clearly, by the way that I just explained it, does not echo some of the talking points from that incel type of uh, rhetoric, I guess, is the word to use. Um, So, because of that, and because I'm confident in my own opinion... I know that when people are talking about incels hating Captain Marvel, they're not talking about me. They're talking about the quartering. They're talking about those types of people. And so I don't feel offended because I'm not who people are talking about when they talk about those criticisms. So if you didn't like Miss Marvel, because there are genuine reasons to not really like how Miss Marvel was done, just story-wise, I would say... I think production-wise and everything was pretty good, but it did seem like they were trying to fit two seasons into one show. It was a little all over the place. And the villains were kind of lackluster. So I can see why there are reasons why people wouldn't like it. But those people who I've heard talk about those things, like, for example, one of my podcasts that I listen that I listen to is mostly nitpicking Nando V movies who does some Marvel content on his channel. He does that podcast with some friends and they had a good discussion about the good and bad things of Miss Marvel. None of what they said echoed any of that bullshit, which is why I like following them because we're kind of aligned um, in that way. They also, they did a they were watching this movie and they were donating proceeds to charity because they were live streaming or whatever and I think you could donate in order to get them to watch a movie and comment on it because that's what they do. They watch movies um, or sometimes these Marvel series and then they basically nitpick them but they also talk about things that they like and stuff like that. So part of that was you could donate $100 or whatever to pick a movie that they watch in the future during downtime when there's not like a new movie in theaters for them to watch. And those proceeds were going to go to abortion funds because this was around the time of the Roe v. Wade stuff first happening. And I looked at their comments and everyone was like, wow, you're making this political, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm so glad that these dudes exist. 
because it's so important for dudes to be the ones to like do stuff like this to normalize supporting things that most people think don't affect them but Roe v. Wade affects men as well you know so yeah anyway tangent to say that you can definitely criticize something without being a misogynist for example but if you have to clarify that then I would probably do some reflection because why why are you feeling defensive you know and there definitely are people who are less reasonable and they think they're like a super fan so they think anyone criticizing it is the worst person in the world because they don't understand nuance they're probably younger they're in that stan culture mindset so i kind of give those people a pass but i understand like if you deal with those types of people a lot maybe that's why you feel defensive but i would hope that those people would understand that reasonable adults know that they can criticize something without having to subscribe to all these racism, transphobic, all of those things, whatever the situation calls for. But yeah, so that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> and I'm just going to enjoy the rest of this show and not worry about Opinions from idiots that I shouldn't give the time of day. So anyway, now our next topic is we're going to talk about some new scenes from Spider-Man No Way Home. I did not watch the fun stuff version because I'm just not going to be able to go out to a theater to watch it, I don't think. I'm very busy right now, but I did watch the Screen Crush video and the new Rockstars video. And other people might have broken them down too. Um, and I think on Reddit, people have been talking about it. So there's places where if you want to figure out what's in it, you can find it. None of the deleted scenes that they added seem like it's a loss for them not to have been in the movie, except for, I would say, the post credit scene, only because it explains more about the spell, which I think is super important. And I have some thoughts on that, because um, watching the Screen Crush video, he says something really interesting about that and that credit scene. So, I, yeah, I'm just going to go over these. Like I said, I haven't seen them firsthand, so this is all, like, secondhand info. And the opening is a message from the three Peters, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland, thanking the audience and having a little banter amongst themselves. And some of the scenes that were added during Peter's interrogation, they basically confront him about some of the previous actions that he's done in Spider-Man, like the boat from Homecoming that like gets sliced in half, if you remember that part. And, or I guess it's a fairy is a better word to say. And the Washington Monument, which is also from Homecoming. Yeah. And what was the other one? Oh, the night monkey stuff from Far From Home. During Aunt May's interrogation, it meant, eh, sorry, it is mentioned, there we go, that she was involved in protesting in her past. And I think in the Screen Crush video, he was talking about how she's involved in this charity. We see her involved in Feast in this movie. So it kind of makes sense. It kind of just like adds to her 
overall characterization, but not necessarily something that we needed. I think her interrogation as it was in the movie that was released first did pretty well because it established that she is like this mother figure to Peter and stuff like that. Uh, there's also a deleted scene where Tom Holland's brother in real life gets captured by Spider-Man. He like uh, puts some web on him and kind of like hangs him from a tree or something. And basically some bystanders, bystanders, oh my god, <laughs> bystanders are talking to each other and to him amongst themselves. Um, it's basically just showing how polarizing Spider-Man is now in the world, especially now that they know that he's a minor. Um, and uh, so they're talking about some of those things. Not anything super interesting, but yeah, that's the scene um, that his brother was in, which I'm pretty sure we knew about because I think we saw set photos from it at some point before the movie came out. There's also an additional J. Jonah Jameson news scene um, complaining that Spider-Man is allowed to continue to attend school. Um, there's a scene where Peter is forced to climb a wall in his gym class, which seems kind of fucked up. <laughs> like, I've only seen, like, pictures, I guess, of that scene, but it just kind of, it has this fucked up vibe to me. Especially because the gym teacher is the guy that, like, is all Team Mysterio and thinks that Peter is a murderer or whatever. And then there are several cut interviews with Betty Brant, with her classmates and some teachers. You can see these on TikTok, I think. Um, there's clips of them on social media and stuff. One of them, though, The Flash, claims to have come up with the name Spider-Man. There's also one of her and... Uh, Ned flirting awkwardly because they used to date. Um, there's some with the teachers and stuff too. Yeah, just a couple of fun stuff. I think they definitely did work better as social media clips rather than being in the movie. Um, there is a scene of the kids working in the Undercroft, so uh, Peter and his friends. And I guess it's implied that Strange was like watching over them. It was explained very weirdly, but yeah. And like the monster mash is playing in the background or something. I don't know. Interesting scene. This one was also explained kind of weirdly, but apparently there's a scene of J. Jonah Jameson interviewing the, some guy named Walter Burke, who apparently there is a Walter Burke from the comics, but it's a super niche reference that it might not even be referencing. But the guy is talking about how he witnessed Spider-Man destroying power lines, so it's referencing the Electro fight from the movie. There's also um, the photo that we've seen, I'm pretty sure was in the press before the movie came out, with Peter and Aunt May in the elevator with the villains. There's also an extra scene with Happy and Matt Murdock, um, where he, basically Happy is being questioned about the missing Stark tech. And Matt, like, tells him to stop sweating. And then Happy is confused about how he knew that he was sweating in the first place. So, more Matt Murdock, but not as much as we would have wanted. But, um... Oh yeah, the scene with all three Peter Parkers bonding before the fight. At the end, that was extended... So the credit scene, this is the most important part. The credit scene 
basically is showing how Peter has been removed from other people's memories. So we see a picture of everyone in Italy, I think it was. Was that where that whole fight happens in the in the rivers? I think that was Italy. But it's a picture of the class um, in that location. And Peter's face is covered with a bird. And then there's also a scene of Ned talking to Peter, but you see the back of Peter's head. He's not facing the camera at all. And also, they have a lot of other memories in this slideshow from other parts of their high school career. And Peter isn't in those, but that's just because there's a lot that he missed out on because he was doing Spider-Man stuff. So it kind of reemphasized that feeling as well. But, like I said, Screen Crush had some very interesting things to say about this. So his whole thing in his video was talking about how Peter has not been physically removed from these photos. Yes, there are photos that he's not in, but he wasn't in those originally. He missed Homecoming, for example, and stuff like that. So he's not being physically removed from people's memories because um, he's actually in the slideshow. But it's like people's minds are avoiding his existence. I think he was describing it like if Ned were to see that picture of him talking to Peter, his brain wouldn't allow him to be like, oh, who was I talking to? Who's that guy? His brain just kind of glosses over that. That's what Ryan was saying about how the spell could have worked based on this post credit scene. And I think it's a pretty solid theory. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I also think that does leave the opportunity for somehow, not for it to be reversed, but for that to be kind of fixed somehow. Um, because I'm sure we're not going to say goodbye to these characters forever. So there's got to be a way to like kind of work that back in there. There's also been a lot of talk that based on the last episode of She-Hulk that maybe Wong remembers Peter because of how he was talking about the spell. So I don't really know about that, but could be because it could be because he was the Sorcerer Supreme, he was like immune to something like that. That's what some people were saying. I think it's kind of a stretch because we don't know if that's a thing. But basically, this theory of just kind of him being glossed over in people's minds makes it so that there is kind of a way for them to remember him. It probably would just take some work, kind of like if you have a repressed memory in your life. Um, and also, what kind of reemphasizes this for me and makes it seem more legit in my head is because MJ, at the end of the movie, when he goes to the coffee shop and like wants to talk to her, but then continues to be a stranger, she has the necklace on still. And clearly she knows that it's sentimental. Maybe she doesn't know why. That's always been something that people have talked about. And I think Ryan's theory with the spell, based on this post-credit scene, aligns with that really well. And how the memories might work. And also what that could mean for the future. 
This next segment is from a Reddit post that's basically titled "What Some What Something Is Something." What What they probably meant what is something official from Marvel Studios that you personally deny? Um, and they used an example: Amon Valani debating Kevin Feige over saying the MCU main timeline is Earth six one six. And then they also say from. For me, it's Far From Home officially being Phase 3. It makes zero sense. Far From Home is Phase 4, even if they officially say it's Phase 3. I don't like when people argue about what's in Phase whatever, because it literally doesn't matter. <laughs> Especially now that Avengers movies are seen as the culmination of a saga. That's something that Kevin has said since Comic-Con. I think phases even matter less now than they did before. Um, so some of these I did strongly disagree with, which we're going to talk about, and then some of them I kind of agree with. So, um, this person says, and also, if you're new here, when I do content from Reddit, I don't mention usernames, unless I were to be talking about some amazing fan art or some cosplay, then I would, but I don't mention usernames because Reddit users are weird and they will search a post that's super old and if it's not archived, they'll troll people and do weird things and stalk people's post history. So I don't want to be a part of that. Not saying that anybody who listens to this podcast would ever do something like that, but that's why I do it. I don't do it to like claim credit for people's ideas. I think I'm always really good at being clear when something is not really my original thought because I've seen it talked about on Reddit. So I do the same here. And that's basically why I do it. Um, but yeah, so anyway, this person says, it's pretty hard to deny as it's already a big thing in the MCU, but I really don't think dreams should equal different universes. It's probably the dumbest thing that Multiverse of Madness made up just for that long joke. This is one I strongly disagree with because I don't think it matters. I think that it's a cool concept. I think it makes sense based on how it was used in the movie. People are very hung up on like what that could mean for people's dreams. And I don't think that any of the holes that people try to poke in this idea matter much or make sense like somebody was like well what if i dreamt that i was the master of the entire multiverse then what would happen then i would be the master of the multiverse and it's like well maybe people just don't dream that shit because in order for you to have a dream about being the master of the whole multiverse you would have to be in one of the millions and millions, infinite number of universes would be the master of the multiverse, and then you would be living a totally different life. You wouldn't be a normal person. You would be this multiversal person, right? So I think, again, the holes that people are trying to poke are ridiculous. And people are like, well, dream logic isn't like real life logic, so why would it make sense that this thing could even happen in another universe. And it's like, well, in the universe that they were in, in the movie, red meant go and green meant stop. Like, why are you holding every other universe to the same standard of the one that you're currently in? I don't think this is a game-breaking bug. (laughs) Like, I don't think this 
plot point is something that it's gonna break the entire uh multiverse i guess and like i said i thought it was a cool concept i'm a sucker for interesting dream stuff inception was like my favorite movie (laughs) when i was in high school i wrote an essay on it and everything um and i also not that it's a dream but the silent hill games especially two and three and i guess one mostly um but two especially two is my favorite and not that they're dreams, but they feel very dreamlike and you don't really know what's going on. Like, that's my favorite genre of stuff, basically. So anything that talks about dreams, I think it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I, I, yeah. I just disagree with people that that's dumb or breaks anything. But you're entitled to your opinion, I guess. <laughs> This one I think is interesting and it brings up an interesting point. This person says that Star-Lord has no celestial powers now. I know he lost them with Ego, but I want to believe he can somehow tap into those powers eventually. And I think in the future, if Star-Lord is to continue after the James Gunn trilogy, they could totally go back to that and make it make sense. Just because James Gunn says that that decision was final, he doesn't have celestial powers that's not part of the character like there's a way you could write it probably to make it fit back in um and i don't think i don't know if this is an unpopular opinion or not i don't think what writers and directors say is gospel i just don't because they work on their projects they don't care about the whole entire universe and how things are interconnected and so I don't think it should be gospel. It's We should take what they have to say into account, but it doesn't have to be a forever constant. Because Marcus and McFeely, the writers for Endgame, contradict themselves in their own damn movie. And then they were making comments in interviews after that movie came out that continued to contradict themselves. So sometimes I feel like writers and directors don't really know what the heck they're talking about because they work on so much stuff. And so, like, if you were to talk to the Russos now about decisions they made all the way in, like, Winter Soldier, would their answers be the same as they would be at the time that they were making the movie? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's something that we can definitely take into consideration, but it isn't a bible you know that's my opinion on that this was a whole debate that was happening i saw a couple comments talking about the same thing cap being able to lift the hammer in age of ultron this person says because a lot of people talked about this but this person says he was able to move it yes but he needed to grow more as a character he was almost worthy he was still too rigid and unbending we don't trade lives stuff after the events of uh, sorry after the events of infinity war yes some people agree some people disagree i think some of the disagreements so i'm kind of in the middle of this i guess because there are people who make a good point that like why would somebody ever be half worthy and why would that cause them to wobble the hammer like why is that part of the enchantment it doesn't make sense that i definitely agree with But I never really, 
was never on board with the fan theory that he was able to lift the hammer, but he decided not to, to spare Thor's feelings. So I think the fact that he wasn't quite worthy, but almost was, is a good way to kind of make it make a little bit more sense in my brain specifically because like I said the counterpoint that I just mentioned is a very good point that I don't know how to argue but I do think I guess personally I am leaning more towards the fact that he wasn't worthy quite yet I think he still had some things to work out personally I think civil war was a big proponent of that as well not just infinity war stuff and endgame So I don't know. Like I said, they make a very good point that like, why would it be a half and half type of thing? So I don't know. But yeah, apparently it's a hotly debated issue. This one was interesting because I didn't know that the Russo's ever said this. And I think this is just going to prove my point that directors can stop talking about shit. This person says, the Russos think that the rat getting Scott out of the quantum realm was the sole difference that separated the victorious outcome from the 14 million other futures that Strange saw where they failed. Way more important choices and actions had to be made after that point to eventually win the day. Some of Strange's other outcomes should have gone further, including when the snap was reversed and all the way to the point where Tony makes a sacrifice. I agree with this person. I think the Russos saying that is dumb. Because some of the other comments in here talk about, like, it doesn't make sense for the rat to be the constant because that's all about chance. And the reason why Strange gave the time stone to Thanos is because he knew that he had to do that in order for the future to play out how it was supposed to play out so that they could potentially win in Endgame, basically. If he knew that the rat was the constant... Wouldn't he do what he has to do to make sure the rat would do the thing that it has to do, you know? Like, his sole motivation for giving the time stone was so that the future could fall into place in the way it has to. They had to lose in order to win. So the rat thing doesn't make any sense to me at all. And this is why, like I said, it's not gospel. And a lot of these comments basically were saying the same thing. This is something that I never even thought of because I didn't know the Russos ever said this. Russos, sorry, I cannot speak tonight. Um, this thing. So for this, I don't know if this was ever like an official retcon, was it? But this person says them saying that Loki was being controlled by the scepter during Avengers 1. It's just Marvel taking a bunch of villainous actions away from a character because they want him to be better morally, even if that fucks up a decent amount of his arc, by making him never really be that bad. I mean, only other movie where he's 100% evil is Thor 1, but people in Asgard don't seem to mind Loki's ruling style in Ragnarok, and Odin pretty much deserved to die, so... Um... Some people in these comments responding to this person compare it to Wanda being possessed by the Darkhold. And they also provide evidence that the Scepter does affect people. Because, like, weren't the Avengers, when they were around it, they were, like, arguing more or something like that? 
It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. And also, I don't think it was ever... Yeah, when did they... This person... When did they retcon it as Loki being controlled by the scepter? And this person says, Within movies, not actually. We can make a conclusion seeing as how it negatively affected the Avengers, but it was never said out loud or confirmed within the MCU. People are mostly going around with this theory as something confirmed based on this being said in that Marvel site article about Loki. Yeah, because the quote says from the site... I think it's on marvel.com for Loki's bio, but it says, unbeknownst to him, the scepter was also influencing him, fueling his hatred over his brother Thor and the inhabitants of Earth. So yeah, um, I don't think this matters (laughs) because I just don't agree with this person saying that it used as like a justification for the evil that he did because I think Loki did pay the price for what he did it took a while for him to be actually redeemed so and the same thing with Wanda her being possessed by the dark hole doesn't make what she did any better it just kind of provides an explanation but it's still her actions that she must take responsibility for so yeah um yeah okay so the next one just talks about cap losing his virginity to somebody who probably wasn't peggy and how it's out of character for him this is also something that i disagree with because virginity is not that deep however i will give it to the opposing side because Steve Rogers being a Christian man in the 40s, it probably would have been a big deal to him. But I don't know. I also can see, like, it doesn't seem so out of character to me for him to have had hookups like that. Because to him, I don't think to him it was this meaningless hookup thing. I think he was just like, you know, being a young man, figuring himself out, you know? I don't know. It's just not wildly out of character for me. But apparently, people have very strong feelings about that. This is another one that I don't necessarily agree with, but theirs is T'Challa being dead. The character should not have to be killed off. Wakanda forever looks good, but part of me thinks it's wrong to honor Chadwick Boseman's legacy by killing his character. I am not part of team recast T'Challa. Especially at this point, because I think, you know, just stick to the decision that you made. I do know why people are upset by it, and I don't necessarily think it was the correct move to make. I think they made the decision very quickly. And they didn't have to. And I think if they had more time, they would have done something that... They could have talked to the family more. They would have done something that would have made more people happy, I guess. I don't think they should pull another T'Challa from another universe. Hate that idea. I know that's probably bound to happen at some point, where people are going to get pulled in from other universes. Because that happens in the comics, and we're about to have this whole, like... 
thing going on, um, like the incursions and stuff like that. But I just hope it's not done in a lazy way whenever it is done. And yeah, I feel like, I don't know, they could continue his story through other characters. And I do like the idea of focusing more on Wakanda as a whole, which is kind of what this movie is about, what from what I can tell of what they've talked about it. And if the uh, if the Wakanda series that Ryan Coogler is behind as well comes out, because we haven't had an update about that series yet, then I, I like that as well. I like just that universe living on. And I think that in and of itself is like a... A good uh, remembrance? Like, what is the word I'm looking for? It honors his legacy. But I would also... Because I do... I, I get that, like, this is, like, the first major black superhero. And the first one in the MCU, for sure. I think he might have been the first, like major one in the comics if not the first one in the comics I just can't remember exactly when Black Panther was introduced in the whole timeline but uh, that's yeah I do understand like why people are on team recast yeah I don't know It's it's a difficult one I think after I watch Wakanda Forever, I'll be able to have a better viewpoint on how I feel about that. And maybe other people will as well. Maybe other people will rethink what they've said. Maybe. Who knows? You know how people can be. Oh yeah, this one is just MCU being 616. I get why movie fans won't care what number they use. So why did they have to pick one that directly correlates with the main continuity in the comics? Could have called it 617 or something close. And the reason why I saved this comment specifically is because I think this is a really good point that it's going to affect Google results for the comics. If you're trying to look up things comics related, you might get all the movie stuff first. And that made me think, is that the reason why they did it? It's a very good point. It's like when Walt Disney... (laughs) Or when Disney, I should say, came out with Frozen and the conspiracy theory is that they called it Frozen so that you wouldn't see all all the theories about Walt Disney himself being Frozen in Carbonite. So, maybe. I don't know. So this one, this one I do agree with, but I think... The emotion that I'm reading behind these comments is kind of funny. I don't know if they're actually, like, they actually care this much about it. But the emotion that I felt when I was reading everyone's comments, I just thought was funny. Because this was also brought up multiple times in this thread. But the kid that Iron Man saves in Iron Man 2 is not Peter Parker. I won't accept it. 
I like the idea of some characters just existing as opposed to every little thing needing connection. The thing is, though, this was never really something confirmed canon. Because for me, and here's my whole thing about canon, we talked about this in the last episode. If something is not confirmed on screen or if something is contradicted on screen, then it's purely headcanon. And if you want that to be in your headcanon, that's fine, Tom Holland. Because the whole reason why this came into being a thing is because Tom Holland just said something. It, it was kind of like an offhand remark. It wasn't something that he was like super serious about. I think he just thought it would be cool. And then Kevin was just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, it was never something that was like seriously discussed. And it hasn't been referenced at all in any of the MCU stuff. So... I don't think this is a plot point that you have to be upset about. Like, the whole premise behind this is, like, something official from Marvel Studios that you personally deny. I don't see that as being official at all. Even though it's said by the prominent actor who plays Spider-Man himself and was somewhat confirmed by Kevin Feige, I don't think it's official. Because if it was, they would have referenced it by now. Especially because Peter's dealt with the death of Tony Stark. Like, it would have been mentioned, you know? So I don't think that's something official that we have to either accept or deny. Um, this one, <laughs> this is going to contradict what I've been saying a little bit already. Um, because I've been very adamant this episode about not listening to directors and writers. This is one where I kind of go back on that a little bit but James Gunn keeps telling everyone that baby Groot and that Groot that's growing up currently is not the same Groot that died and sacrificed himself in Guardians 1 and I have to say that this I definitely agree with I agree with James Gunn because that's what it, it tells you in the movies. It's confirmed by what's actually on screen. And I've talked about this in the past, too, on a podcast episode. About how if I propagate a plant, it comes from the same plant, but it does it when it grows its own roots, is it a new plant? Kind of yes and no. It's like it's kind of a clone. But it's a little bit, it's like its own thing now it's going on and it's having its own life and they warned Groot that he would die doing what he did and he still did it and there was like a whole thing about it like in order to deny that and not accept it you have to ignore what's actually in the movie so I do not agree with people denying that that's a thing speaking of Groot (laughs) I think this is the last one actually that I'm going to mention from this thread But, um, this person, they insist I Am Groot is a canon show. I beg to differ. My opinion on this, why does it matter? There is nothing in the Groot shorts that matters whether or not it's canon. So if people want to say that it's canon, that's fine. If James Gunn doesn't want to say that it's canon, that's also fine. Who cares? It doesn't affect anything. The most you'll probably get 
is a reference in the future. Like a visual type of reference. Like maybe you'll see the portrait that he drew of the Guardians floating in space somewhere, you know? Like nothing affects like it, nothing affects it at all. And it doesn't affect anything else. So who cares? Speaking of that, though, my answer to this would have been, and I'm surprised I didn't really see people talk about this, but my answer to that prompt would have been that I don't think the Disney Plus timeline is entirely accurate, and that's something that I personally deny in favor of fan-made timelines. I am subscribed to Geek Critique on YouTube. He does a lot of timeline stuff, and I think he's way better at it than whoever they have running the timeline over at Marvel Studios. I also, there was a Nando V Movies uh, video about how Iron Man 3 needs to be placed different in the timeline to make it make better sense with Age of Ultron. Because in Iron Man 3 at the end, he kind of like... He doesn't walk away from Iron Man, but... He kind of does take a step back. He doesn't... He realizes he doesn't have to be consumed by it anymore. And then he's just right back in the action. Kind of consumed by it. In uh, Age of Ultron. So I think fans are better at determining where things are in the timeline. And so I trust those more. And I think when I see Reddit comments that insist that the Disney Plus timeline has to be the correct timeline... I uh, judge them a little bit. (laughs) And Geek Critique is not perfect by any means. Like, he's had to make videos that correct videos that he's made in the past, but he's willing to make those corrections, which is what I appreciate. Which reminds me, I wish they would just frickin' edit Spider-Man Homecoming to not say eight years later. Just, Just make the edit. Please, for the love of God, just edit it. Anyway, so that was the fun little topic we had for today. Um, And yeah, there was just a couple other uh, stuff that I had here. Um, Let me refresh. Um, Oh, that was the post-credit scene. I can unsave that because I talked about that. And... I can unsave the personally deny one. Oh, I can also... I forgot to unsave the topics from last episode. So let me do that real quick. Um, and this one I can unsave. Okay. Okay, let me refresh again. Because I like to keep this a little bit clean. Okay. So, the two other things that I have saved. Discussion topics. I've talked about this on the podcast before about what we're going to do with Magneto because Magneto is one of my favorite characters and one of the highlights for me in the Fox X-Men movies. Even though, yes, I know Michael Fassbender went through the same arc multiple times over and over again. I get it. I get it. But I still think that Magneto was a bright point of those movies for me. Um... So, Magneto is very near and dear to my heart. 
And there's been a lot of discussion on whether or not they can keep Magneto's origins when they introduce him into the MCU. I've always been the one to say slowing down aging is not something that I'm going to be upset about. I think for Magneto, you could make that work without it taking away from other mutants who also have a longer lifespan. Um, some people seem to be disappointed by that conclusion. I think it works perfectly fine. This post, which I think somebody grabbed from Tumblr, brings up some good points um, that I think are also important when trying to figure out what we're going to do about Magneto's origin. The first one is something that I have talked about and I think could be interesting is making him the child of Holocaust survivors because of the intergenerational trauma and how the Holocaust still serve like the consequences of the Holocaust are still surviving into today, which I think is a very important message when you have such a rise in these Nazism ideas becoming very... I guess mainstream isn't the best word because it's not, like, super mainstream, but becoming a little bit more acceptable to just be open about your hatred, apparently. So I think that could be interesting because one of the comments here says... Which one was it? You can't just erase or exchange Holocaust like this. It's not right, and it's a disservice to Magneto. I find it, And then a person replied and said, I find it so unbelievably insulting when people think you can just swap out tragedies like the context is irrelevant. The global, the global Jewish population still hasn't recovered from the Holocaust. Somebody replies to them and says it won't ever recover from the Holocaust. Declining birth rates and significant amounts of interfaith marriage means that ethnic Jews will never recover to pre-Holocaust numbers. And religious Jews will also never recover to pre-Holocaust numbers because Jewish people don't... They're not like Christians where they try and, like, recruit people in the same way. Um, is basically what they're saying. I paraphrased these comments, but that's also true, which is why I think slow aging, just do that. Um, but I think you could still honor the fact that Jew, Jewish people as an ethnicity and a religion, both of those things, how they haven't been able to recover and likely never will be able to recover from this huge tragedy and how that's probably, you know, been the inspiration for some of these other things that are mentioned in this post. Now, maybe I might sound stupid saying that because I guess I don't know too much about the other genocides, for lack of a better term, against Jewish people in other parts of the world. But I guess you could assume that without the Holocaust, maybe those things either wouldn't have happened or they would have had less of a chance of happening. Because when you see somebody be quote-unquote successful doing that, then it paves the way for... I guess that continued hatred. But what I'm saying might not be specifically relevant for some of these other contexts. Like Jewish prosecution or persecution, sorry, in Yemen or in the Swana region. If that's how you say it, because um, Swana is all caps, so it could be S-W-A-N-A. Or Ethiopia 
Jewish persecution in Ethiopia or Soviet persecution. So if they wanted to update the time, they could. But somebody else also made a good point in these comments that Magneto's origin has never even really been updated in the comics. They've updated Iron Man's to be a different war. They've done that with a couple of other people as well. But for Magneto, they never had. So trying to work in slowed aging into his character in the MCU would not be far-fetched. A lot of people in these comments also didn't know that there was... I don't even want to say this push, but people have been talking about what other genocides Magneto could have experienced if they're not going to go with the Holocaust origin. I don't think, I mean, maybe there is. I don't think anybody has ever been saying that in bad faith by trying to minimize the Holocaust or anything like that. At least in my perspective from the people that I've seen talk about it, I don't think that it's been talked about in a way to minimize that. I think it's just people trying to come up with ideas of what the MCU could do if they don't want to use the Holocaust story because of the timing, which I think is unlikely, but people were just spitballing in the event that that would be the decision that Marvel was making, what other things they could do. But I'm sure there were people who did have bad faith arguments and theories and stuff. So I wouldn't say there's a serious push to make him not Jewish. I don't think that's what people are saying at all. I think people are just trying to figure out how you can... um, how you can do a Magneto origin now in the 2020s. Because the Holocaust wasn't always part of Magneto's origin, but once it became a part of Magneto's origin, it became a huge part of the character. And if you've seen the X-Men movies from Fox, you know that it's a huge part of the character. It, it, it changes his whole perspective of the world and how humanity deals with mutants and stuff. Like, it's a huge thing. So, ideally, they wouldn't get rid of it at all. And they would keep the same origin, but they would just have him age slower. And do some bullshit science about how magnetism helps that or something. But I really hope they do Magneto justice, because like I said, he's one of my favorite characters, probably. And I think slow aging is just... And a lot of people in here agree that why don't people want it to be slow aging yeah a lot of people are just saying just do it but for some reason when this was brought up in the past in other threads a lot of people disliked that idea for some reason and i don't know why and that's why people were trying to come up with alternate theories again that was just from my point of view and perspective i'm sure there are people that are just straight up trying to change it I don't think that's representative of the majority, though. And this person hits the nail on the head with what I've been saying. With the rise of Nazism in America, and frankly, other parts of the world as well. I added that part. Um, But they continue to say, I'd say it's more important now than any other time in history to remind people that Nazis don't deserve protection or respect. And I agree. So they could do it where he ages slow, slower, Or I think the second best alternative would be to have him be a descendant 
of someone who was in the Holocaust. Because then I think the intergenerational trauma and seeing the continuation of how the Holocaust has affected their entire population could be a very important message. But you could still do that with him being the direct experiencer, if that's even a word, of the Holocaust itself. So yeah, just age him slowly, honestly. Um, what else? Oh yeah, this is the last topic from Reddit that I wanted to bring up. This person says, MCU needs to avoid the Phoenix plotline at all costs with the new X-Men films. Kevin Feige and co. would do well in avoiding Jean Grey's Phoenix plot since the last two attempts, Last Stand and Dark Phoenix, were dumpster fires. X-Men comics is rich with lore that, quite frankly, is a lot more appealing than Phoenix. MCU should turn a new leaf and leave the Phoenix plot the fuck alone and do something else. As an X-Men fan, I agree and disagree. I agree that there definitely are a lot more interesting things that they could do. 100%. But I also, as a fan of the X-Men comics, want to see it done well for a change. And maybe, instead of having it be Jean Grey, Maya's in the MCU. I think she gets the Phoenix Force in the comics at some point. They could change the person, maybe. If they are going to do Phoenix, though, I would not want them to do it for a while. And let's see more of Jean Grey just being Jean Grey. Because there are also, like, other parts of her character that you can explore without just jumping straight into Dark Phoenix. Because, first of all, you have to have the part before that. It's not just Dark Phoenix Saga. There's the Phoenix Saga as well. It's a very long plotline. And it's been extremely rushed in the Fox X-Men movies. And the fact that they did it twice is so freaking annoying. So I personally would love to see it done well with the proper build-up and everything. If they don't want to touch it, then that's fine. I'm sure I'll love what whatever they do with mutants in the MCU. But I really would love to see it just done well. So it would be a shame if they never did it. Um, I disagree that the Phoenix saga is unappealing. I think it's super interesting in the comics. And it's been done a disservice, as I've mentioned. This top comment talks about um, they want to see Mr. Sinister in the MCU as X-Men's first villain. I think it would be cool to see Mr. Sinister in live action. And it would be something different because it hasn't been done yet. And this person says, but they say third time's a charm. Yeah, I think uh, I think they could do it well. Just not anytime soon, please, for the love of God. This person says, I'll be fine with MCU rendition of Phoenix Saga, but only if Marvel Studios takes their sweet time, yes, to properly introduce and establish Jean Grey. 
I don't need another movie where I need to feel bad for Jean only because she suffers from Phoenix Force. I agree. <laughs> this person, do I need to point out that the last two, in parentheses, shit versions of the Phoenix Saga were brought to the big screen by the same man? The problem was never the story itself. Someone replied and said, and they have such a misreading of what the hell the Phoenix does to Jean Grey. Exactly. It's not supposed to make her mopey edgelord, you fucking idiots. Um... Yeah. More typical comments in here. This person is also interested in seeing it done eventually. People, some, this person says Scarlet Witch is the MCU's Phoenix. Interesting take. But I think that's also why they should wait a while. Because they're, they could be similar in the portrayal. Potentially. Because they're similar ideas, I guess. The direction that they took with the Scarlet Witch is kind of similar because of the dark hole corruption. So, slightly similar ideas. This person says, by the same logic, MCU needs to avoid making a Fantastic Four movie because the last four attempts were dumpster fires. I can't wait for a proper Fantastic Four movie, too. That'll be awesome. This person also knows what they're talking about. They say, you mean Dark Phoenix. The Phoenix storyline has two phases. And the Fox films only focused on the second phase. Exactly. But they also mention Scarlet Witch. Um, yeah, this person is like, anyone else remember how epic that Phoenix Under the Water reveal was at the end of X2? And then they just shat all over it. So sad. What else? Do, do, do. Yeah. A lot of these people are saying the exact same thing. Just some in more words than others. But anyway. It's a little, uh, little X-Men topics to chew on while we wait for more mutant stuff. In the MCU, which I can't wait for. Speaking of stuff, <laughs> I don't know how to segue to this next part, but I am going to try and do a what I've read this week type of thing at the end of these episodes, just talking about comics that I've been reading, because like I have been saying, my ultimate goal with making a Marvel podcast and just making Marvel content in general is to get people to read more comics. Especially people who think comics wouldn't be for them. I kind of hope that I'm an inspiration in that way. Um, but yeah, so... Lately, I've been doing a Jessica Jones reading order. 
I started with Alias, which is not on Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited is the app that has almost the entire library of Marvel Comics. It's $10 a month. I love Marvel Unlimited. There's a lot of technical issues and things that we have to deal with, but it's great for reading comics. So I read Alias another way that I will not mention because I will not be incriminating myself. <laughs> um, but I definitely do want to see if I can find um, like the actual physical copies because I love it so much. I think Alias is probably one of my favorite comic things that I've read ever so far. It's definitely up there. And that's just such my genre of comics that I like is there's some mystery to it. It's very street level. So I guess I should explain it. I want to make a video about Alias, by the way, because it is something that's a little bit more difficult to get your hands on. And the reason why it's not on Marvel Unlimited is because it's a Max comic, which basically is like their R-rated comics that they've come out with. Um, so there's like sexual stuff and just like bad words because in other comics they censor them. And uh, yeah, it's it's really good. Like I said, I want to make a video about it. Um, after She-Hulk is over, I'm coming up with ideas to do videos on Marvel content um, in the interim, waiting for the next thing to come out. Um, so I'll need content for the end of the year. And I think I'm going to go over, I'm going to make videos explaining comic stuff probably would be one of the video ideas that I have. And one of them would be telling the story of Alias because it's really good. Basically, Jessica Jones, this was her introduction, by the way, into comics in general. So she was introduced in this comic. And you also probably know the term Alias being tied to Jessica Jones because they renamed the Jessica Jones series from Netflix. They renamed it on Disney Plus when they put it on there to Jessica Jones Alias or something like that based off of her comic debut and basically she is a private investigator she's a former avenger she has powers she has she can fly she has like a lot of strength stuff like that um but she doesn't want to be one of the ones in tights basically so she's a private investigator and she has to go through a lot in being a private investigator with the cases that she works on and a lot of them are just so interesting. Like, it, I just loved every second of it. Um, and what are some highlights? She hooks up with Luke Cage, ends up getting pregnant with his baby. And then in comics that she appears in afterwards, she appears in Young Avengers and stuff like that. Um that storyline plays out of her and Luke Cage being together. The Purple Man makes an appearance in Alias, and that's something that's that comes up for her. Um, and yeah, anyway, she's just a really great character, and I fell in love with her character while reading Alias, and so now I'm reading the uh, reading order. Which does have some Young Avengers stuff, so I'm also reading Young Avengers again. I've read Young Avengers in the past, but I'm going through their reading order as well. I'm just going to do them simultaneously. Um, 
was I going to say? <laughs> I just blanked out what I was going to say. Um, but yeah, the Jessica Jones reading order, I am 17.65% of the way through. And that's probably the farthest I am for any of these, except for Secret Wars 1. I finished that one. <laughs> but everything else, I am not anywhere near 17.65. Because I'm also reading a lot of She-Hulk stuff and a bunch of other stuff. So anyway, the main stuff that I've been reading, like I said, Jessica Jones. Right now I'm at, in the reading order, I'm at Young Avengers number 8. The series Pulse, which is the series after Alias um, that Bendis, because Bendis uh, wrote Alias and then uh, also used the character in Pulse, which is basically um, J. Jonah Jameson hires Jessica on to uh, basically be a consultant about superheroes because he's like, people want to hear about superheroes, but I hate them. So let's make a comic that, or not comic, column, that's the word, about superheroes to give the people what they want. And so her and Ben Ulrich, um, who you also might be familiar with that name if you watch the Netflix stuff, um, they kind of work together to get some of these uh, stories. And that's where the Young Avengers come in because they're tasked to figure out who the Young Avengers are. Um... But yeah, a bunch of, uh, they, they always put Jessica in very dangerous situations and she's afraid that she's going to lose her baby, but because she's super powered and her baby is super powered, they can survive a lot. They've been through a lot so far. <laughs> um, and yeah, so that's going well. I'm also reading, I read, God, what was it? 2014? whatever run that was of She-Hulk. It's the one where she has her own private practice and one of the stories is she has to defend Captain America against, and an old Captain America, um, against this guy that died that is blaming his brother's death on Steve for not acting out when he was supposed to. Um, I think that was 2014. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm also reading Dan Slott's She-Hulk stuff, which is what a lot of the show is based on. So I want to start getting into that. And so I'm reading the 2004 run because he did two back-to-back. -back. He did the 2004 and the 2005 and so I've started reading that, and I do see a lot of connections to the show, so I'm excited to read more about that stuff. And then also, the Marvel Unlimited subreddit has kind of this cool uh, book club thing going on that I've been lurking. And last week, the comic that we were reading was Cosmic Ghost Rider, and this is basically about Frank Castle is in Valhalla, and Odin basically kicks him out. He turns into Ghost Rider somehow. I didn't even really understand how that happened. And he basically wants to find baby Thanos to kill him so that he doesn't do all the evil stuff that he does in the future. And hijinks ensue. It's a very interesting take on Frank Castle. 
Um, it feels kind of like its own character, which is super interesting. I think the art was so good, and that mixed with the writing. Like, I did not expect to like Cosmic Ghostwriter at all. It's not typically the type of story that I would go for at all, but I enjoyed my time reading it. Issue 3 specifically, and a lot of other people said this in the Marvel Unlimited subreddit, but issue 3 was really good. I, I would say, yeah, at about the halfway point, I got really into it and then read the last couple really quickly. It was hard for me to get into at the beginning, but it slowly picks up and is really interesting. Galactus makes an appearance and... Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a wild ride. It's short. It's five issues, um, so I would recommend giving it a look. Um, Cause yeah, it's it's super cool. Um, this week we're reading something about Doom. I don't know, so <laughs> I'll talk about that probably in the next podcast. But yeah, hopefully that comic section was interesting. Um, like I said, I definitely do want to do some Jessica Jones content in the future. Um, like a Comics Explained-esque video about Alias specifically. Because, oh, it's such an amazing series. Um, if you Google Jessica Jones Alias, or maybe Alias in the Year, I forget the year, though. Um, if you do some Google searching, you might find a place where you could read it. I have no idea. But anyway... That's going to be all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, especially if you've made it this far. You can catch me on YouTube. It's always linked in the description of these episodes. You can also follow me on Twitter at C-H-E-Y-L-O-N-G-H-I-N-I. And yeah, I will see you next week. And we're going to talk about D23. And we'll potentially also do the Thor Hot Takes finally, because it's going to be on Disney Plus on the 9th, I believe. Um, So yeah, look forward to that, and I will see you in the next episode.